I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh Lord, it really brings. Welcome to the Devil's Junkie down. Podcast. This is Ralph Amson with Devil'sDigest.com. Uh, if you're not a subscriber, make sure uh, join the conversation. Uh, sign up on Rivals, less than nine bucks a month if you buy an annual subscription. We'd love to talk to you on there. If you are a subscriber, welcome back to the podcast. We're going to make this short and sweet for you. We're going to break down this ASU NAU game, and we're going to get into Texas Tech a little bit, and then we're going to wish you well and and see what happens this weekend. So I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm, I'm here with Brett Quintine. I'm here with Chili as always, and I want to hear your grades for this win. So we'll start with you, Chili. Uh, go ahead and grade this Arizona State win over northern arizona um a lot of new movie a lot of new pieces to this puzzle a lot of uh, moving parts in this machine and i'm gonna probably give them a solid b um like i said there's just a lot of new pieces to this puzzle that i just can't be so hard on them even though that it's an fcs team that they played against normally i like to disagree with you chili even if it's just for the sake of it <laughs> but in this case and i'm sorry i missed the game actually but i'd go with a b as well the final score doesn't seem to be as indicative as one would think. It seemed like it was a lot closer. It didn't seem like they ever really gave that knockout punch. Yes, they pulled away in the second half, but it certainly was anything but dominant. Well, let's get right into the whole uh, quarterback situation because we went right up uh, into week one with the players pretty much knowing what was going to go down, but the, the media and the fan base was kept in the dark. Uh, er- everything sort of went right up to the beginning of the season, whether it was you know the the stadium construction, um, you know revealing who was going to be at quarterback or any number of things that were going on, and we got our first look at Manny Wilkins. And uh, my impression of Manny Wilkins is that is the most athletic quarterback I have ever personally seen on the field for Arizona State. I mean, you had sufficient athleticism with Taylor Kelly, and you had, um, I mean, it's really hard to even describe to people who, who weren't there to see it what Jake Plummer did in the pocket, uh, but he, we'll call it athletic, um, uh, slippery, what, what, whatever you want, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, a magician. Um, but Manny Wilkins, is the most athletic quarterback that has ever taken the field for Arizona State. And there are like three other guys on the team that can do the exact same thing. This is obviously a new era of quarterbacking. But let's just address the 20 for 27 performance, 180 yards, no touchdowns, one interception, and leading the team in rushing. Chili, what did you think of Manny Wilkins? Um, I thought Manny Wilkins did a lot of things uh, really, really well. Um, I think he uh, had a few uh, minor hiccups. But regarding the athleticism, you know you are doing something right when Lolo Jones addresses your ability to hurdle somebody on Twitter. Uh, shout out to Manny Wilkins. Um, I was not um, disappointed. Um, I thought that you know he did. I thought he did a fine job at quarterback versus NAU. Um, this isn't his audition. He's he's our quarterback for sixteen, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm okay with it. Uh, and you know wh- whether Graham cares that I'm okay with it. Or right. Not. Like I I, I, th- I think yeah. that you know. Um, He's our best chance for victory right now. I'll definitely say from what I've heard, seen, read, yeah, Manny Wilkins seemed like he was on point. Obviously, a lot came down to, well, is it going to be Brady White? Is it going to be Bryce Perkins, obviously, before he was hurt? Is it going to be Manny? And Manny seemed like he was getting the short end of the stick for much of the preseason and even late last year, etc. 
but he seems like he's coming to his own. He played very well. And yeah, like you said, Chili, he's the guy moving forward, and he certainly showed it on the field, and he'll certainly be under center on Saturday night. Now, 20 for 27. Uh, obviously, probably could have been 21 for 28 if you saw he had a pass to Nikhil Harry that was ruled a, a handoff uh, because the ball traveled backward after he threw it, ended up a 34-yard touchdown for Nikhil. Um, but th- those stats are sufficient for NAU. Um, and, I mean, call this bullshit if you want to. Was this just a matter of ASU putting together a vanilla game plan? There's that word again, vanilla. You know, what, was this offensive display from Manny Wilkins indicative of how he will spend the season? Dinking, dunking, running away from the pressure, gaining yards that way? Or does he have something else in the tank that we didn't see? I, I'm, I'm okay if, that, if, if that's the approach that the Sun Devils take regarding Wilkins because he's young. He's a young quarterback. This was mm-hmm. his first game. Um, if he's in a dink is dink and dunk his way uh, through the season and show flashes of you know his athletic ability, I'm okay with that because he's young. Um, if he was a senior or a junior quarterback, that would I'd, fly. I, yeah, I, I'd have my reservations about the approach. But I think this is okay. Plus, having um, a young receiver like Nikhil Harry coupled with you know a solid running game, you know, I, I, think, I think that that works. I think he's in a really good situation. You mentioned the... Freshman and then senior in Tim White, I think just overall he's surrounded by some very good weapons. He's in a position where he can grow into the position. We've seen that he's certainly moldable. He put on a better performance than I personally thought he was probably going to do on week one. So overall, yeah, I think he's, uh, he's in a great setting. Let's move on to the running backs. Let's break that down real quick. Uh, you had... Probably, probably the touch split that that you were looking for, uh, unless you really want to see Kalen Balaj unleashed. Uh, but you know, you you had uh, about a 65 65-35 split. Demario Richard to Kalen Balaj. They combined to touch the touch the ball a little bit over thirty times. Uh, they both scored a touchdown. They both caught a couple of passes out of the backfield. Um, is this? exactly what you thought it would be or would you like to see that shifted up just a little bit i'd say keep it going exactly how it is i've always been a fan of these two dating back to last year it's been a strength of the sun devil offense last year and certainly will be this year both guys know their role both guys get along both guys are extremely talented i think this is exactly what asu needs in the backfield um this wasn't what i expected I expected them to just hand the ball off to these two guys about 42 times and just ram it down NAU's throat, uh, give uh, Manny Wilkins just the game experience. But, you know, we got, we got a little bit more than I expected uh, from that situation. But um, you put me on to Demario Richard. Um, I, I, I was kind of a Balazs fan at the beginning of last season, but you're the one that kind of put me, in, put me on to Richard and said, hey, this kid's going to be good. You know, they're going to have a nice solid one, two, three uh, running backs. And, at first, I kind of didn't believe you because, you know, sometimes I have trust issues, but going to ASU <laughs> does that to you. Um, but, you know, I think uh, I think Balaj and Richard, I, I would like to see it kicked up a little bit. I'd like to see them, you know, both touch the ball combined maybe 35, 38 times a game. I, I want to see – I don't want to see them worn out, but I want to see them worn out. Let's get Alabama sure. with it. So okay. one thing I noticed is that, uh, first of all, the first drive lasted two minutes. They ran seven plays. 
They ran an average of one play every 17 and a half seconds. I mean, that pace was blistering. NAU had no idea what was coming or what to do. And then it sort of, that, that pace fell off from there. Was that just a matter of a, of a scripted drive that they had been working on over and over and over again? Or do you think they can really keep that momentum up uh, with Balaj and Demario both on the field together? I mean, that's the mantra kind of at ASU, you know, bring somebody home, score real quick. So, I mean, you know, I'm used to seeing that type of stuff Jeez. from ASU. Wow. I don't <laughs> good one, Chili. I don't want to see them uh, score as quick as they need to. I think it needs to be a slow, grinded out pace. No, they don't have you to. Wanna, take, you want to date a little bit. You yeah, want to hold the yes. okay. They don't need to take up the whole play clock, but I don't want to see them march up and down the field. And obviously, we're going to talk about Texas Tech a little bit later on, but they can't do that against the Red Raiders. So, starting off from now until the end of the season, no, don't. Run it to 30 seconds. Run it to shorten the game a little bit. Uh, one last thing on the running backs. Uh, you, you get an opportunity when you get up by a few scores late in the game to bring in a third back. Some people might have been expecting to see uh, Jason Lewis, all six foot 30, 400 pounds of him, you know, run out there and, and, and be the juggernaut that we're all expecting. Instead, it's two-star Nick Ralston from Texas who yeah. red shirts last year. He shed about 20 pounds. And, uh, and, and now we have, you know, the great white hope in the backfield. His first ever touch, he takes it to the house. Um, and it looks like he's going to be the third running back. Are you satisfied with that, Brett? I am. When talking to Todd Graham at Media Day, something that he shared on our podcast, he was big on Nick Ralston. He said that Ralston is going to play a part in this rushing offense. And true to his word, he found time for Nick Ralston. He certainly spelled Balaj and Demero Richards. So, yeah, I think Nick Ralston is the real deal, and he'll be a guy who's going to be around for a while and contribute. Chili, are you comfortable with Nick Ralston getting 10 to 14 touches if Balaj or, or Richard has to sit out a game? Uh, for any reason, or would you just like to see them go with one feature back and, and ride that one running back all no, the way through? Um, you know, this this Balazs, uh richard situation is uh, kind of, um, I don't know the word, maybe the word is special or whatever. You and need, I don't want to see them burnt out completely. I know I said I want to see them get 35, 38 carries, but I want to see those carries split. Um, I don't want to... I want to see those carries kind of remain the same regardless of if one of those guys gets injured. So, you know, I don't want to see them all go to one back. I don't want to see one of them get 25 carries. And the other 10. Right. Yeah, so, no, you're right. Um, I, I'd be okay. I'd be okay with uh, Rawson getting, you know, take, taking 15 snaps. I think, I think you know, that'd be okay. Okay, wide receivers were largely absent as far as the um – the breadth of wide receiver that, that we we were have sort of become accustomed to. We know that there are seven or eight wide receivers that could probably mm-hmm. fill a role on game day. Some of them aren't even at the wide receiver position. They've been moved to, to other positions. And so um, what we do know is we know Tim White's going to be on the field a lot. We know that Nikhil Harry's going to be on the field a lot. Yes. We know that Cam Smith's going to be on the field a lot. So um, just your general, uh, you know, knowing that Tim White had nine catches and they, they attempted to use him in a way, you know, setting up other receivers to block for him. Cam Smith looked a little bit frustrated, in my opinion, uh, with, you know, and maybe that, that was just rust, but he had a couple mm-hmm. of touches. And then obviously Nikhil Harry has a, a breakout game for a freshman. Um, they didn't do a lot of rotations. Could be vanilla. 
vanilla could be the way things are, are going to be. But that three wide receiver set, those three that got on the field, is that something that you're comfortable with? I like I like that set. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm a little uh, disappointed and frustrated that I didn't get to see anything from uh, Jalen Harvey or Ellis Jefferson. You guys know uh, how much I, how much of a fan I am of District 19, but I guess we're gonna be playing out of district this year. Um, and what happened to the kid Cody Cole? Like, um, is he on the side of a milk box somewhere? Because like I, you know, he seemed to be MIA. He well, he he was MIA in the passing game. They didn't necessarily try to use him, and I don't know if Manny Wilkins will. Uh, but if you look at that Nikhil Harry touchdown, you'll see him making a block to spring that. If you look at an earlier rushing touchdown in the game, you'll see he's the one that made the block to spring that. He's bigger now, and and so you know uh, they might not necessarily be using him. Um, in the receiving game as much. But if they're going to get the ball out to Tim White on the outside and have Nikhil block or, or maybe Cody Cole block, you know, you're going to see a lot of, uh, of use of him, just not necessarily with the ball in his hands. And I, I'm comfortable with this three-man t- three set. You figure you have three separate dimensions. You've got what I'm going to say is a superstar in the making, and I don't really give that accolade too much in Nikhil Harry. You have someone on the other side, a steady senior, Tim White, and then Cam Smith, who missed last year, and we'll see what he can do. So, yeah, overall, I think that they've got, I'm going to say, their three best guys out there. As a unit, as a unit, Cam Smith, Tim White, Nikhil Harry, would you trade them for anyone else in the Pac-12? Nope. No. 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 Nikhil Harry might be freshman of the year after one game. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the offensive line. Uh, I saw some issues uh, with the. I, I saw some promising play, but I also saw uh, that you know they get pushed back a little bit by that NAU defensive line, and when they did, it would create issues for Demario, who is not really good uh, at dancing when he first takes the handoff. He kind of has to hit the hole hard and make a decision from there, uh, and a lot of Demario's struggles come from having to. Uh, jump to the side to find a hole or not be able to take a step forward. Uh, and 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 we've also seen that Balage, uh, it kind of takes a lot for all of his power to be uh, involved in what he's doing as a runner, and you can definitely bring him down when he's standing still. So the offensive line didn't necessarily get the push um, that, that ASU fans would, would possibly want to see. We also saw Manny Wilkins get sacked uh, three times against against NAU. Um, they're a young unit. This experience is obviously important. Um, are you concerned? Could this end up being like Rudy Carpenter's senior year where the season gets ruined because of uh, inexperience on the O-line? Or do you think that with the way that Todd Graham's been recruiting, the unit they put out there is going to be able to get it together? Slight concern. Offensive line is really the key to everything. Everything we've talked about, especially the running game and obviously a sophomore meaning i.e. a young quarterback you have to get that push if Balage and Demira Richard are going to get X amount of carries per game they have to be successful carries if Wilkins is going to be an effective quarterback he's got to have that time so the three sacks actually concerns me against NAU because the schedule while the Pac-10 isn't necessarily a dominant conference it doesn't get any easier now, you know, my, my thing is, uh, NAU, we kept talking about how uh, dynamic their offense was. Um, our offensive line giving up three sacks has nothing to do with how good NAU's offense is. Um, 
we got to be able to protect the quarterback mm-hmm. against a smaller school like that. Mm-hmm. Um, to see to see us give three sacks up when we have an athletic quarterback that can Lolo Jones somebody, <laughs> like just tells me that we have some serious problems up front. Um, you know, just giving them a grade alone, I'd probably say that they're a low C, maybe a high D at best. Defensive line is uh, is probably the area that concerned me the most. But when I went back and, and watched the game again, I saw that NAU was really protecting the quarterback with six and seven blockers on any given play, which makes the fact that they gave up 370 yards passing um, that much more concerning for the ASU defense overall. Uh, but I will say the defensive line isn't as much in the doghouse as I originally uh, had thought from watching the game up up in the press box. You didn't see a lot of push from Tashawn Smallwood. He ended up having one tackle for a loss. I think the team had 10 overall, which is nice. Um, and, and you did see George Lee uh, and Rennell Wren absorb a lot of blockers to free up linebackers. But in order to be successful and in order to help out your defensive backs and in order to not have to blitz so that you can cover some, some of these you know, plays that end up in different zones all over the field, you're going to need to get a pass rush with your front four. Wasn't impressed with Wicker in this game. Wasn't really impressed with Smallwood. And those kind of need to be two of your best players on defense. Obviously, you didn't have Fiso, um, you know, and Latu wasn't in there either. Um, but overall, I did not think this performance was that great. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong at all. It's almost scary because if they're not getting the, dare I say, penetration, if they're not putting the pressure on the quarterbacks, I mean, look at what happened at the end of last season, getting, I'm going to say the defense getting blown out by Cal and something you and I talked about, Chile. Berkovici would pass for 400 yards in that cactus bowl, but it was in an L. So they can't go forward without consistent pressure. I mean, the linebackers have to be freed up to get tackles. I mean, it's um, as much as we just talked about the offensive line being subpar, the defensive line can't be in that same boat. I'm, I'm so confused at what's going on on this defense because I always thought that defense was a strong suit for Coach Graham. Um, not that I ever questioned the things that he's done since he brought us those uh, back-to-back 10-win seasons, but before those become nostalgic mm-hmm. and a thing of Sun Devil lore, I'm just curious uh, what's going on with the defense because was that Tyler Wiley playing linebacker? Um, Spurrier, hi- hybrid safety linebacker role, yeah. Wasn't he a wide receiver and like a DB and coming out of yeah. yeah, coming out of high school? Like this kid weighed like a buck seventy coming out of high school, and now he's a uh, our our linebacker. Like not not that he's not capable, not that he's not capable, but in two years. To see that flip around because I thought he was very talented. I thought he was going to be a very talented corner. This is maybe a, a safety. Yeah, this is probably a pet peeve of of many of the people who follow this program and Todd Graham closely is the continual tinkering with players. But some of the people that you saw on the field in this game are not necessarily going to be on the field uh, come Pac-12 play. That's true. That's a good uh, point. You know, Tyler Wiley didn't necessarily show anything that said. I'm going to be a star in this role and supplant Laiu Mokiola, who didn't play in the game. Uh, Carlos Mendoza obviously was out there 
Uh, you know, we, we've been hearing about the Carlos Mendoza comeback for, uh, I mean, going on the Van Wilder years now. Wow. You know, he, he's been there for a very, very long time. He had two interceptions in his first ever game, got hurt, and he's been working his way back, you know, since the 1900s. And so he finally, he, he got on the field, he made some plays, but those aren't necessarily guys that you want to have out there. You want DJ Calhoun out there. You want Coron Crump out there, even though he is very small. You know, mm-hmm. getting to see him, you know, uh, up close and in person. Uh, he's small and he's quick and needs to get his hands up on some of these blitzes to knock down passes. Uh, but you don't necessarily want Wiley out there. You you know you you want Christian Sam. You want Calhoun. You want Mokiola. But here's the issue. You know, Mokiola is dealing with injuries. Christian Sam got kind of a cheap shot uh, a couple of plays into the game and he misses it. You have to be able to fill. Um, Fill that in, and if it's Wiley and Mendoza, then it's least it's at least people in you know Mendoza who has prior experience, and Wiley who's played enough positions on the field that he has some basic understanding of what could be going on on any side of the ball or in in any situation. Assuming that he's been focused and hasn't been moved around, uh, you know, because he he isn't necessarily mentally strong. We don't know. So. You know, these are not necessarily the guys that you want out there or that you will have out there unless you continue to struggle with health issues. The defensive backs, to me, was probably the most interesting lineup that they put out there because uh, they run Robbie Robinson out there in nickel. Robbie Robinson looks ready to go. I mean, he he looks like he, um, as, as a freshman, is not intimidated in, in the least by... Uh, by the task at hand, you know. And then you've got you've got Armand Perry, you've got Kareem Moore, who spent the majority of the game, you know, talking talking trash, uh, and and you know that they're probably going to be able to perform for you. And then you have Gump Hayes, who's newer to the position, yeah, exactly. and Bryson Eccles, who came over from Texas, and and you look at those two guys, they got burned a couple of times, and that's something we might have been expecting. Emmanuel Butler got behind. Uh, got behind Gump Hayes on, like, the first play of the game. Uh, and then Elijah Marks, who's a local kid from Desert Edge, you know, he gets behind Bryson Eccles for an 87, 88-yard touchdown that uh, that was kind of frustrating for TJ Rushing and, and the whole coaching staff. Um, is this more the same? Is this is this kind of the, the recurring nightmare of having Quishy Brown out there and, and, and Solomon Means and, and, and Chad Adams? Or are these guys, do they have enough talent to actually – uh, make the impact that ASU needs to take a step forward. I think they have impact potential, but I don't think that impact is going to really be shown until the back half of the season. I mean, we'll talk about again. I'm foaming at the mouth to talk about Texas Tech very soon, but I think they've got some growing to do. Obviously, Perry missed essentially all of the season last year. He played early on. Kareem Moore, hopefully he's not uh, stricken by the sophomore jinx. He's extremely talented. So I think this team has, or this unit has the pieces, but I don't think we're going to really say that they're a strength until the back half of the season. Man, I know Texas Tech's quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes sure. and his Mahomes. I know that they are just salivating Absolutely. right now Absolutely. after they saw how Case cooked us. Case, please don't cook us. Yeah. Like, Case did so many bad things to ASU secondary. Whether it was tricking them earlier with the little dump passes or just torching them late unmercifully 
with that Elijah Marks. That was the, hey, we might be losing, but we can keep up with you guys. Just so you yeah. know. Ken, K- Case Cook, That's a great is, point. That's good Case Cook yeah. is a very good quarterback. And I don't think you ever said otherwise, Chili. I think everybody was always on the same page with Case Cookus as a quarterback. But one thing that you and I talked about, Chili, and then you had, a, and I've, I've been wanting to ask you this ever since uh, you got to watch the two of them play, was two of the better receivers, not, I wouldn't say in Arizona high school football history, nope. but on one of the best teams in Arizona high school football history, Emmanuel Butler made a huge impact in a championship game. We saw what he could do. And then Elijah Marks owns the record, the single season record for most catches in a season with 113. So we're well aware of Marks and Butler, but one thing that you said uh, multiple times before actually getting to watch them in person is it's the competition, it's still NAU, you can't go out there and say that these are guys that are going to hang up with a Pac-12 level or that could do it consistently. Now you had a chance to watch them both in action. Is this an ASU defensive backfield problem, or do you think that either one of these guys is the actual truth? Do you think that they could hang? I think the entire ASU defense is to blame. They can't get to the quarterback against NAU. Against NAU. That's like saying, like, hey, Chandler can't get to the quarterback against ASU. Because I know that, like, this, this NAU team, they are okay. They got a lot of local talent. But they're, like, I mean, I don't, I don't want to sound... I don't want to sound off the wrong way, but they are not they are not much better than if you took the best JUCO players in the state and put them on one team. And so for ASU to not just be able to own them the way that U of A did last year and score 70 points on them and really show them what, you know, big time college football is about, it's a disappointment. And I give this one more to the defense than the offense. So you don't think Butler's a starter on most Pac-12 teams? He's I don't think he's a starter, but I think he's a contributor. I think he might be that deep ball guy. He might be the home run threat. Um, I don't think that he's a starter. I don't think that he's not good. I think that Butler could play at a Pac-12 school. I think that Kendall Taylor could obviously play at a Pac-12 school since he signed a he deal. He came from Yeah, he came yeah. from Washington. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Marks could play, play at a Pac-12 school. Um, did they get their choice? Maybe they don't get their choice. Maybe there's 10 of them that they could play at. Cookus, though? You think Cookus? think Cookus would be in the yeah, top yeah. six? Cookus cooked us. So, yeah. So, he, he can play, he, he, he can play at any Pac-12 school. Do you think we will see Case Cookus in a couple of years at a Pac-12 school? Oh, you think he's in a grad grad transfer? See, see him in Oregon if they keep Ooh, that transfer? Yeah. I mean, I yeah, this might not be the last you see of Case Cookus. I don't Cookus. know if... Interesting. I don't know if he's going to go to an Oregon, but I could see him grad transferring somewhere just to get a, another year of exposure and put that hurt on somebody. Yeah. That's a good quarterback. Let's get into special teams really quickly. Zane Gonzalez came out there. I think he, he said, I am mm-hmm. going to be better than last year. Yep. I'm going to be the best kicker in the Pac-12. Uh, with the touchbacks, the, 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 to have the ability to kick the ball through the back of the end zone every single time out takes a lot of pressure off of your special teams. Yeah, it can cover up any holes that you actually have in kick coverage, which is nice. Uh, to have Tim White returning kicks is a really, really big deal for Arizona State. Um, and Matt Hawk looks good. I mean, he... he running the ball? <laughs> running the ball. <laughs> I don't think that was on purpose. Obviously, the one issue that they're having right now would be long snapper. Uh, and they actually burned Cole Cabral's red shirt 
to, to go ahead and get him in to, to, to do a couple of snaps. Um, special teams, would you put that right now as the most advanced unit that ASU puts out on the field? For me, easily. Grade A. Yeah. I'm going to say grade A. I mean, the, the touchbacks alone gives your team a mental advantage. His kicking ability, three points. Obviously, not every time they get into opposing territory, but he's a steady kicker. Punter, solid field position. So, yeah, I mean, they, they can flip the field at any point in time, and I think that's huge. A lot of these are the same players that, that, that were on the team two years ago when uh, special teams was obviously one of the biggest problems for Arizona State. So do you credit the players, or do you credit Sean Slocum? i got to credit Sean Slocum. I mean, he's got the... Uh, NFL backgrounds, I think he brought that to ASU. Obviously, you have some player growth. You get better in time, especially the D1 program. But, yeah, I'm crediting Slocum because it was a weakness at one point, but now it's a strength. I think Gonzalez would have been good if I was coaching him, and I don't know two things about kicking a football. That's that's real talk. Zane Gonzalez is good, um, fully inherited. So, um, you know, he's he's going he's gonna, to – do some things for ASU this year. Uh, he hit that, what was that, a 53 yard? 53 yard, 45 yard, 33 yard, 8 of 9 on touchbacks. I mean, the, the only. But see, where guys. I give Slocum kind of the credit, yes, obviously Gonzalez is going to have a strong right leg regardless of who's coaching him, but I'm talking about like the punt coverage, the kickoff coverage when it doesn't go in the end zone. Those intangibles, I think, is what Slocum brings. You mix that with the talent that these guys have and have built up over the last couple of years, and you have a great A unit. I think by the end of the year, if they're going to a bowl game or not, we're going to be saying, wow, that special teams unit is the best unit of this ASU bunch. All right, Chili, I have a question for you because you're out there, you're in the press box, you went, you know, you're, you're down walking around as well. The double inferno was full. The stadium wasn't full. People weren't holding up there into the bargain, but the students showed up and they filled both end zones. And it's one of the first times that we've actually seen them both be full. Seeing it full and taking out of consideration the fact that not a lot of other people showed up, do you like it? So let me tell you about like the school spirit aspect of it. Um, being a student now, since I'm a student in my last semester of student teaching, um, shout out to my Mary Lou Fulton people. Um, and all shout my out teachers. to you finishing school. You've right. been a student since I've known you. Something like that. So, you know, <laughs> I, I got that Van Wilder, you know, Derek, a great situation going on. You and on. Carlos um, Mendoza have been there since <laughs> well, now, one of you had green kids. Well, we're fighting over the same girls. Anyway, so, um, you know, I, I got to say something. So, um, this is the first time that I actually kind of patrolled the stadium and it looks amazing. Frank Cush Field is something to marvel at right now. Um, so I went to the student section that, when you're looking down from the press box, it's to the left. Okay, um, next to the band. Right, yeah, right next North to side, yeah. um, the NAU student section, which was kind of kind of much louder than I thought that they would be. Um, I didn't know that Flagstaff would bring that many kids. Um, the ASU um, school spirit was absolutely crazy. They were like going back and forth with the NAU kids. NAU kids were talking crazy because they were only down 10 to three at halftime when they should have been down like 30 to three. But the ASU kids, like, they were talking back, and they actually knew players' names. And I'm not talking about the girls in the sororities that were just, you know, chasing the jerseys. I'm talking about, like, the 
actual students at ASU, like they actually knew like who Nikhil Harry was, where he came from, um, that you know his grandma's a big deal. Like they knew their players, and to me that's exciting that they are actually embracing this team and who these players are. Um, they knew where these kids were coming from, and I think that that's important because of you know on the other side of the double inferno. Um, what is that? That's the south south side. South yeah. side. You have that's under the, the athletic department, under the athletic under department Anderson's facility, office, right. et cetera. Where the we're kind of the front entrances. Yeah. Um, so next to that part of the double inferno, you have the recruits. They do who, sit right now. Yeah, they do in the corner. So the cool thing when I went over there is the student section. They know they're like, hey, those kids over there, they're going to be here next year. Kind of already hoping that we're going to be getting the Bubba Boldens and. You know, we obviously got uh, Poplowski, uh, Snap Crackle Poplowski locked up. So it was very, very cool um, seeing the students really, really embrace um, the football team because I have never, ever, honestly, in my life seen that. Even my first year as a student, which was, you know, a couple years ago or whatever, um, the kids, they were just there to, you know, kind of party and well, Like whatever. you said, hashtag restore the order. The order is slowly being restored. So, yeah, something like that. And... You know, it's just very, very cool um, to see the students really, really engage and embrace, uh, you know, the athletics. So before we get into Texas Tech, let's talk a little bit about the fact that they had a lot of recruits there, because they did. Some of the recruits, some of the local recruits, some with offers, some without, uh, they chose to go to Glendale because University of Arizona uh, was sort of hosting BYU in a neutral site, Glendale air-conditioned game, uh, but you had Austin, Real neutral, an hour and a half away from Tucson. Austin Jackson, Joey Ramos, some of the better offensive linemen, they were all out of this game. But at the ASU game, you had Ryan Kelly, who's a commit. You had Jared Poplowski, who is a commit. You number had, one quarterback, number one tight end. I don't and, care what anybody says. You number had Curtis Hodges, and this is our first time seeing Curtis Hodges in person. Yeah, I Kids thought he was a legit six foot seven. Yeah, he's big. Uh, you had Tyler Johnson out there, who uh, can my man, big money, who, who can sort of do it all. Uh, KJ Jarrell from Saguaro, with a lot of other players Saguaro with him, and then probably the two recruits that you're after the absolute most right now. Alex Perry, younger brother of Armand Perry, and Bubba Bolden. They're locked up. Yeah, who this week got offers from Oregon and Ohio State because of how he's been balling out as a senior. So they had a lot of talent out there. Uh, One of the things that I personally noticed was um, Tyler Johnson's demeanor can sort of be uh, shocking, almost off-putting, if you don't know him as a kid, that he's this huge, huge, huge guy who doesn't really smile, doesn't really look you in the eye. He'll break your hand if you try to shake him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's strong as an ox. Uh, but, you know, Todd Graham was out there talking to him for a while. He turns around, he sees you, and, and, <laughs> and he was almost happier to see you than he was talking to Todd Graham. Is it just a matter of him sort of being uncomfortable in those situations, or do you think that's a indicative of maybe he's not receptive to ASU's recruiting overtures? So I'm going to throw this to Brett in one second right after I say something on this comment, because Brett's interviewed a lot of people. Like I know he's done like a lot of minor league broadcasting and stuff like that. So... With Tyler Johnson, I kind of think that since he's in a situation recruiting-wise where, you know, um, I really think, and this is my opinion only, that he wants to stay on the offensive side of the ball. I think that um, ASU or maybe some other colleges are pressing him to play uh, defensively. 
I think he was kind of being poker face. He doesn't want to seem overly excited, like, oh, hey, this is where I really want to be, and this is my opportunity. And, I mean, Brett, maybe you can give us a little bit more on what I'm saying. Does that make sense? It does. I haven't... Uh... Well, I've talked to Tyler Johnson. This was a couple years back, actually, when he was first getting on the map. And yes, indeed, he's a uh, shy is not the word, but he's uh, yeah standoffish. Is the kind he's of reserved. A, a, yeah, reserved. Yes, a take it or leave it type of guy. And yeah, I think you guys bring up good points. Of, and I wasn't even aware that some schools were really wanting him to be more on the defensive end. So yeah, maybe it is perhaps the recruiting scene that he's not really loving. So you, you just never know, but I think for the most part it's very, and we also have to realize these kids are 16 and 17, so sometimes they don't know how to act. They're right by the student section, they want to act all wild, and sometimes they want to go the opposite way. So for kids in that scenario where they're setting up their future, their home for the next four or five years, it can be very tough to read. He's also a guy that if he scores a touchdown, it's not like he's going to get hyped up either you know it's mm -hmm. it's it basically it's, like it I, hold on i i gotta tell you this story i watched him score a touchdown an 84 yard touchdown against corona del sol in their first game of his senior year and he kept looking back he kept looking back i asked him about it after the game he said he just wanted to lay down after he scored that's the type of kid he is he doesn't want to dance he doesn't want to go to the parties he want he just wants to play some football and you know, just and hang shut out it down and right. chill. Yeah, and uh, you you definitely get that impression from the time that I you know I've spent talking to him as well. But he's definitely a hard kid to get a read on. You have all the Saguaro players out there who are, are putting a lot of pressure on KJ Jarrell. Uh, KJ Jarrell hits harder than concrete, by the way. He yeah. <laughs> if, if you haven't you seen that. it, I tweeted out a video. Uh, I was out in Colorado to watch Saguaro play Valor Christian, and he came in low on a kid, not at his knees or anything like that. But he dove in for a really big hit, didn't want to spear him with his helmet, so instead of hitting him with his head right in the kid's stomach, which I don't think the kid would have got up, got up from, he faced him, and he put his face mask right in the kid's ribs, and the sound it makes is just, <sighs> like, it'll ruin your day. And I probably watched that video like 30 times, <laughs> shouldn't have. But, you know, I, I, I talked to him after, and, and you know, he, he didn't even realize the kid got hurt on that play. That's just what he does. He's a, you know, he, he's a hitter. He really yeah. is. He's not the most athletic, not the most explosive guy uh, that Saguaro's ever had out there. But he, he really likes to give his body up and make receivers not want to go over the middle, make kick returners think twice about turning the ball upfield and not just running out of bounds. So he'd be a big asset. He was out there, and you know that he's getting pressured more than anybody with three of his teammates being ASU commits. You know, I, I, I talked to I talked to Jared Poplowski, um, my boy Snapcracker Poplowski, um, who I think is going to go down in history as one of the great ASU tight ends, maybe not the greatest, but one of the greats. And he told me and assured me that he is working on KJ Jarrell and Austin Jackson and everybody. He wants all of them to become a part of this uh, Chase Lucas, New Devil's Order thing that we got going on here at ASU. Um, the video, uh, ArizonaVarsity.com, DevilsDigest.com. So, you know, you want that hot exclusive, got to subscribe. So here's the deal. ASU might not take another receiver because of Curtis Hodges, who is unlike anybody that we've seen before, six foot seven. But there was another tall receiver out there, and he was out there with his boy Ryan Kelly. It's Terrell Brown. 
ASU, again, might not take another receiver in this entire recruiting class. This is a kid who just broke the record for, for receiving yards in a single game. Uh, he's somebody who scored 20 touchdowns last year. He's somebody that Ryan Kelly loves as a target, and he was out there on that sideline. Brett, you've probably watched him play more than anyone. Is Terrell Brown worth a look from the hometown school? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been impressed with Terrell Brown. If I was impressed with Ryan Kelly since day one, I've been impressed with Terrell Brown from day two. I just think they go hand in hand. But to watch Terrell Brown go from junior to senior and put on some size, which obviously is very important, his speed has always been there. So, yeah, Terrell Brown needs to get a look because I think he would fit very well in the Sun Devil culture. So, Ralph, i got to ask you, is it possible, you do a lot of the recruiting stuff, is it possible that, and maybe we can get hoed in on this, is it possible that Terrell Brown is the Tyler Eulis Tyler to Ryan Kelly's Devin Booker? I mean, it's, it's possible. Here's the thing. Terrell Brown just went out and had 15 catches for like <laughs> 360 yards and three touchdowns. Everyone knows he's getting the ball. He is going to destroy Mark Andrews. You all know Mark Andrews went to Oklahoma, scored two times uh, this week, said he wanted to play wide receiver. They moved him to tight end just like we knew they would. He scored two times in Oklahoma's opening loss to Houston. He is going to I'm not I'm not saying he is going to break Mark Andrews receiving record. I'm saying he is going to put it this way. When I was a kid, I got on my cousin's video game system and I ran the ball for 1300 yards in one game with Jerome Pettis. And <laughs> and my cousin came home and he started crying. And he said, "I had the records on that game so that they would be fun. And now I'm never going to break them." And that's what Terrell Brown's going to do sure. as a receiver at the highest division this year. He's going to get probably 2,000 yards receiving. The record's like 1,450 from Mark Andrews. So this is a kid that can definitely play, but his offers don't necessarily reflect sure. it yet, and he's still learning football, which is scary, mm-hmm. but at the same time... Because he can also hoop it up, too. That yes. makes his ceiling like through the roof. Am I, am I right or wrong? Well, see, the question you just asked yourself is the same question that college coaches have to ask themselves, and they don't like having to ask themselves that. A coach with faith in themselves will look at a kid who can do something like that and say, imagine what they could do if I was the one teaching them. And you know that ASU has a wide receiver coach like that because they offered Curtis Hodges, who had Iowa State as his only other offer. He's six, six foot seven, and six foot seven isn't necessarily right. something you see every day. So, True. you know, again, they might not necessarily be taking any receivers, but I, I'm, I'm with you guys. I think that he could definitely perform at that level. So let's get into Texas Tech. They put 69 points on Stephen F. Austin. They're feeling pretty good about themselves. They want to come into Sun Devil Stadium. They want to bring tortillas. They want to throw them all over the place. Yeah, what is that about? They want uh, they want their coach to come down and 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 uh, and and meet up with some of these uh, Scottsdale divorcees. <laughs> you know, they, they they want to come down and they want to run the place. Will they? Is Texas Tech going to come down and beat the pants off of Arizona State? I'm going to say there's a high chance that that's going to happen. I've had this game circled on my calendar billboard for a long time as far as this is a huge game for ASU for the very reasons of their week where Texas Tech is strong. And yes, I realize that ASU's offense is looking at Texas Tech's defense saying, hey, we can put up some numbers. But 
when you look at Pat Mahomes, senior quarterback, who throws at will in the Big 12, and you look at what the ASU secondary is, at least right now, I think that the Red Raiders are going to put up a lot of points, and I just don't think that the Sun Devil offense is going to match what the Texas Tech offense is going to. So I, I see the Red Raiders scoring at least 50, and I'm not one of those prediction type of guys, but I think it's going to. it has the makings of being ugly. I hope it's not. First one to 42 wins. First one to 42 wins. And I, yeah. like Brett, I kind of agree. I'm not sure right now if the Sun Devils have the thoroughbreds to score 42 points. But if they can hold Texas Tech a few times, get a and few Zane Gonzalez field goals um, instead of taking uh, you know some three and outs, get some good like special teams to play. The defense has to make plays. Right. Yes. Maybe get a touchdown you know, from the special, defense yes. or special teams. That's right. Maybe if they can get 13 total points from defense and special teams, maybe the offense can put up you know, another four touchdowns. Look, Texas Tech's not going to run the ball. Nope. They're not going to run the ball. I don't expect them to be on the field for very long. Uh, what ASU can probably do is wear that defense down and have their way with them late in the game. Mm-hmm. But you still have to be within striking distance. Here's what Texas Tech did last year. And they've lost a few pieces on this defense, mind you. They gave up 128 points in the just the first quarter of games last year. 128 just in the first quarter. In the fourth quarter... When it matters, 160. Of the 28 total first and fourth quarters that they played last year, only three of them did they hold the opponent scoreless. This wow. is a team you are going to score on. And, and, mm-hmm. and to put that into perspective, because ASU, you look at them, their defense hasn't been perfect. It hasn't been even great, but it's, it's been decent over Todd Graham's era. Yep. Todd Graham's coached 54 games for ASU. 25 times out of those 54, they've held the opponent scoreless in the first quarter. That's so big. almost half of the time. Almost half of the time. Texas Tech last year in 14 first quarters gave up 128 points and only held their opponent scoreless two times. So if you're looking at how Todd Graham and how this coaching staff can come to game plan, and it's not like they haven't seen anything like this before. They've played Texas Tech in the Holiday Bowl. They play Washington State every year. They know about an air raid. If they can get out and they can build up a little bit of a lead and Todd Graham can work his schematic uh, magic to get them that lead in the first quarter, maybe you're up 14 to nothing, you know, then I think they potentially have a chance. But if you go, if you if you let them do what USC did to you last year, right, to where you're yes. just scrambling to make it look like a close game, at, at it's the almost end. like Basha High School with ASU in a sense. It's like you can't be in a hole. You've got some weapons to do some damage offensively, but you can't keep coming from behind. Right, and here, here's the deal, though. You know, with, we you bring up Basha High School and Ryan Kelly, they run an air raid. You know, and, and in ASU, you know, they're more in a situation where they're going to have to run the ball even if they're down. Yes, that, that's so, very true. Yeah, you definitely have less of a chance, I think, of, of actually making up ground if you fall too far into a hole. I think that as long as – I know that you were saying that ASU's defense has the bend-but-don't-break mentality or whatever. Um, I think as long as ASU realizes that down 13, down 10 – 
going into the fourth quarter, they're still in the game and continue to have the run the ball mentality, I think ASU might be okay. Just keep running the ball, hand it off to Richard, hand it off to Bellage. Yeah, they can stay within you know, striking distance, let, they'll be let, okay, but you just Manny can't Wilkins, be down. Let Manny Wilkins get out of the pocket a little bit. Let him throw some short passes. Don't try to don't try to run and compete and throw touchdown passes with Cliff Kingsbury because like right, well that, it's yeah. not gonna happen. Not for this ASU team. Not this early in the season. Not right now. You're saying you'd have better luck leaving Cliff Kingsbury alone in a room with a woman in your life than you would trying to <laughs> trying to to match points with them on the field. Texas Tech is gonna come down here and score on and off the field. <laughs> that is very, very yeah. true. <laughs> do you ever wonder, I tweeted this out, but do you ever think that if, 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 if Kingsbury's talking to you in the huddle and to get your attention, he calls you son? Do you think some of his, <laughs> do you think some of his wow. players wonder, like, have a second thought or whatever? Dang. So here's the deal. <laughs> I can tell you firsthand that Lubbock is a lot of fun where Texas Tech is. So yes, it's, uh, it's good stuff. There's scoring opportunities down there. Wow. So here's the deal. Uh, Vegas disagrees. Vegas says that ASU is a favorite, and not just that three points for the home team favorite. They they made ASU a five point favorite, and all of the money is dragging that line down. I think probably by game time we'll see it as maybe a pick'em. What the hell does Vegas know that we don't? That's my question. You bring up a great point because Vegas knows something. Vegas definitely lines are created for a reason. Um, I don't have an answer for you. I just there's it, no allegiance in there. Yeah, They're in the business no, of making money, and they have true. to know that eighty to eighty-five percent of that money is going to be on Texas Tech. Yeah, I guess they're just taking the gamble on it. It's tough to no pun intended. Just, but they don't gamble. That's what I'm saying. Right? They, they don't, don't yeah. gamble. What yeah. do they know that the people like us who have been studying this all off season? What do they know that we don't? I mean, is it the fact that Texas Tech just gives up fifty points a game? And, but, you know, their quarterback is so good. And so it, it's really confusing. There's so many questions for Arizona State that haven't been answered, that weren't answered in that NAU game. And, and it just makes you scratch your head. Uh, but I think a lot of ASU fans maybe look at that Vegas line and say, well, you know, maybe we've all been wrong this whole time and they know the right things to look at. Sure. Uh, um, but at the same time, uh, I want to I end this on sort of a different note. Uh, something that I brought up on Twitter DJ Foster made the Patriots 53-man roster. Same DJ Foster who, who they built the Stay True campaign around. Same mm-hmm. DJ Foster who you know was on his way to setting multiple records as a hybrid running back wide receiver. Same DJ Foster who made a position switch as a senior and fell off dramatically. Same DJ Foster who didn't get drafted after staying for his senior year. Goes to the Patriots and makes the roster outright outright and what i said on twitter is that's really great for him but if you're a sun devil fan that should piss you off that it proven now proven he's on the roster it's past tuesday so he's i mean he's getting checks right Mm -hmm. uh you know who knows if he sees the field but he you know he's getting checks that somebody who is a proven nfl caliber player who has made an nfl roster could go from getting 260 some touches as a junior to like 120 as a senior, have that fall off over 100, you know, but slashed more than in half to also to have a six and seven season and not necessarily use him properly. 
and then have one of the best coaches in the history of football look at him and say he could help an NFL team immediately. And my point is, I feel like that should piss ASU fans off. That should let you know that something was done wrong last year. I had some people reach out to me on Twitter and tell me, no, that's not the case. That was the role he wanted, and that's just the way it ended up. Plus, he had some drops. He didn't have 130 drops. Right. But he had some drops, and I, I fully understand that. But I look at that, and to me that says ASU not only underachieved, but had a hand in undermining their own potential. That is a role that he embraced because he's a team guy, and he is a great football player, and his talent is enough to see him through whatever transitions positionally um, he's going to make that a team um, intelligently makes for him, whether it's moving to wide receiver or flip him to defensive back. If somebody says, oh, hey, DJ, we're going to make you the new nose tackle, obviously not the position switch that he's going to be interested in. Um, I don't know that it pisses me off. I think it's a testament to the type of football player that he is. And I think, you know, it, it, you know it's always a testament to the university that, you know, we had a player that was capable. I think we actually, the more I think about it, and I was irate about the position. position mm-hmm. Yes, you were. Last year. I yes. hated it. Um, I wanted to see him stay in the backfield. I wanted to see him uh, continue to catch those short swing passes and whatever else. But, you know, the more I think about it, last year's team was going to be a struggle anyways. I'm over it. So I think we did the best thing by DJ Foster in limiting the touches that he got to prolong what could be a nice, long, healthy NFL career. Interesting take. I'll say as a Sun Devil fan, disappointed last year because in doing the podcast with you, we talked about three guys primarily, Balaj, Richard, and Berkovici. Foster really was nowhere to be found. I mean, he was on the field, obviously, but he certainly did not perform, and not necessarily by choice. You're right. He embraced the position that they moved him to because he is that type of guy, a true team guy, and they built everything around him. As a fan, yeah, it would have been nice to see him get the accolades and go out great and rush for a 1,000 yards and all of that sort of stuff. But you look at the other side, and yeah, he is playing for Bill Belichick. He is playing for one of the model franchises. And the I'm, model. The, the model, model franchise, the model. although New York Giants. I'm You're right, 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 but, but I got But it. yes, you get what I'm saying. I just think it's more of a testament, and I agree with you, Chili, testament to DJ Foster for overcoming a disappointing senior year, strapping on that helmet in the preseason, and making a tough team. Well, hopefully, hopefully, you know, uh, Sun Devils can continue to take pride in what he accomplishes uh, on or off the field mm-hmm. uh, because he's a great guy and a great kid. Um, and at the same time, it's always going to be in the back of your mind. Just like if you ran a company and you had a pretty good sales guy and you just moved him to customer service. Right. And then a bigger company than you came and grabbed him from customer service, sure. put him back in sales and made a bunch of money off him, you would kick yourself. And but, so, But it's a little different because he had to, he had to leave. Like, that was his progression. He had to leave Arizona State. It's not like he went to U of A and then... Right. Yeah, and I I completely understand that, but you also have to look at it in the context of a six and seven season. Right. He was misused. Yeah, when people like Mike Bergovici were writing letters to the student body, uh, saying championship, and when people were answering the phone, 
you know, saying championship. The only person I see that, that still does that is uh, is Demario Richard. You know, he's 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 still a believer. So uh, anyway, we will catch you all next week. This has been the Devil's Junkie Podcast. I am Ralph Amson for Brett Quintine and Chili. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town.